life. Life makes sense when Jesus shows up. It's very complicated when we try to do it without him. Serving God without God is called religion. Serving God with him, in him, is called relationship. I think hopefully one day we'll actually wake up and realize God's not looking for performance. He's looking for faith. People just believe the performance that he's already accomplished. And believe that 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 performance that he's already accomplished has the power to work in you. The obedience of God in the season and the time frame in which he will lead you. Don't ever underestimate the power of the blood. It brought you into this new life. It will carry you through. The blood of God is never against you. It's always for you. It's you and I that run from it. It causes the problem. run from that fountain of life, you hide in the shadows, try to cover your own crimes, deal with your own humanity, you create your own chaos. Amen. Anybody feel a little bit better? We should probably start worship all over again so you can actually worship this time, right? Father, we, we bless you for your presence and your heart, something that will continually confound us and amaze us throughout all eternity as you unveil it more and more. I thank you for the people you've called in this place. They're yours. You've carved them out of rocks and pits and bloody holes. You found them at their worst, and you've created them and made them into your best. They are the saints and the most high of the sons of the most high God. That your glory rests upon them and in their heart dwells the spirit of truth and the spirit of resurrection and power. And I pray the reality, Father, of your heart, the reality of your kingdom and the reality of your nature would be made evident and it would call to deep inside of us that we would understand and recognize not only who you are but what you made us to be And the process in which it takes to be able to bridge those two. As we grow in you. As we love you. Lord, I pray for the spirit of prayer and spirit of revival to come to your church again. I pray that people here would get a heart for something other than their own morality. And Father, that they would have a heart for the nation. They would have a heart for their neighbor. They have a heart for their wife and their husband and their children, for their communities and for their pastors and their leaders. Their life would reflect the nature of a son, which is not to come to be served, but to serve. Awaken that nature in them, Lord. Bring them to a place 
where your voice rests over them as it did your sons, that this is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. So, Father, may our lives increase your pleasure. We bless you and we thank you. In Jesus' name, we ask this. Amen. You guys okay? How many of you were here last week? Yeah. If you weren't here last week, I'm picking up midstream, and uh, I, I figured out here that I've got a lot of content to cover that I've covered many years ago in the past, and I feel like it's time to cover it again. So last week, I gave you probably four sermons in one, and um, this week, I'm going to try to break it down a little bit slower, all right? So if you need to go back and listen to last week's message, it's on the uh, website ProclaimingJesus.com or you can find Proclaiming Jesus on Facebook and listen to it there. Um, I would highly recommend you doing that because this is the foundation that I laid before I get to where I'm talking about today. It's hard to catch somebody midstream. It's hard to um, come into a series halfway through, which is why you should never miss church. This is your fault, not mine. If you weren't here last week, it wasn't because you weren't invited, and it wasn't because you didn't have the opportunity to be here, unless you were out of town, and that's the only excuse you get. Stubbornness keeps you from more than you realize. You know, there's times in my past where I've, I've, uh, I've been doing this a long time, pastoring, and, and I've walked with people for a long period of time and I've watched their state of maturity and growth and things of this nature and then there's times where where I see them miss a service and that was the service they had been praying and waiting for but you know what the interesting is thing is is they never they'll never know it because they missed it and you going back and re-listening to it, it's never the same it's never the same. People watching online right now, welcome. Thank you for being here, but you can't feel what we feel in the room. And so be careful because you're praying things that God's trying to answer and your stubbornness is stealing them from you or your laziness or tiredness or whatever it might be. You can dress it up and call it busyness, but it's usually laziness and stubbornness and running from God. You know how I know that? Because we always do what we want. You can't keep somebody from what they want to do. If they really want to be somewhere, they will find a way. Right? So this is your life. You get to decide how it goes. You get to decide what you miss and what you don't. Just understand the investments you are making or not making will haunt you for eternity. Okay? You can't get certain things back. So... In that, I want to talk to you more about sonship because we laid the foundation last week of what it means to be a son, the biblical covenant, and the understanding that Abba laid out through generations all the way from Genesis, and as we see, it'll go through Revelation. We touched on it briefly last week. What it means to be a son and how that important that is because being a son is just more than just outside of just generic salvation. 
the church has reduced what God calls restoration in his family down to uh, a membership because of an event that you, that you had at an altar called salvation. They say, well, bless God, brother, you're saved. Now everything's good. You're okay. When they have no clue who God made them to be, what the intention of God is in the first place. Because in, in order to understand our destiny, we have to understand the designer of the destiny that we possess. Because if we miss the intention of God, then the plan and path of God begins to go astray because then we begin to assume about the intention instead of letting the intention organically be revealed to us by the Spirit of God as we move on in life through authority and submission and everything else that we're going through. It's very, very important that you and I in our life do not take our Christianity out of communal context. Because if you, show, if you ever showed me a Christian in their life that separates themselves from a community or church presence, I will show you somebody who slips from Jesus every time. Some of you know that's true because it's happened to you in your life. If the person doesn't think they slipped from Jesus, then they just have a religious spirit and they're covering up that whole thing with knowledge. Because Paul says, we've been baptized into one body. He goes out of his way to talk about how there's many parts, but one body. The whole New Testament, in fact, is about loving one another. How are you going to do that if you're not physically present? You can't do that from a distance. The new command that Jesus gives us is a communal command. Why? Because God existed in community even before he created a community. With me? Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. There's something about being together in one. And that's what it's going to take to be able to for you to understand what it means to be a son of God because you're going to need the different parts of the body to be able to unpack who God is in that aspect and framework and it's going to lay the foundation for you to be able to fit and see how you fit as well. Does that make sense to you? So don't miss church. That's a, that's a long way of saying don't miss church. All right, I want you to turn to uh, John 1, verse 12. I'm going to talk to you today. When God made us to become... His children again. He restored sonship, which means he put us in the position and posture to be like his son Jesus. All right? We see that even Jesus identifies um, two categories of, of sons. In John 8, he looks at the Pharisees and he says, You are of your father, the devil. Right? Okay, so this idea in modern-day Christianity, in modern-day 21st century America, we're all, we're all God's children. Well, that's not actually true. No, we're all made in God's image. We're not all God's children. With me? There's a difference between being made in his image and being a son. And what we do is we, because we're made in his image and we, we confuse that thought, we think that just because I believe in Jesus, that I believe he existed, I believe I'm a Christian, blah, 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 that that makes me okay because, you know, we're all God's children. Well, that's a, that's a false theology. You were created in God's image, but that doesn't mean you're his son. You can be created in God's image and be a son of the devil. Right? But I believe in Jesus. So do the demons. Right? James says even demons believe and they tremble. So what I want to share with you this week, this is why you need last week's message, because last week's message was really encouraging and uplifting. And, but this one's going to be a little more, you know, a little more strict. Because you can't just rejoice in being a son without knowing the rules of the house. And I don't mean rules in a dogmatic theological sense. I mean that there's a way to operate in the kingdom of God as a son of God that requires you to constantly get on the cross and die in your life. 
And if you try to be a son without the cross, you take the sonship out of the context of Jesus and you create something else. Because Jesus is contextualized by his ability to serve and submit to things that we run from and justify. Does that make sense to you? Yeah, okay. Christianity justifies the things that sons naturally pick up and, 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 and embrace. You right? I don't have to do that. No, you don't have to. That's the point. You're, you're, you're partially accurate. But if you're going to be a son, you, you'd better do it. And this is the dividing factor when we come down to who is a true son and who isn't. And I want to show you that in the, in the, in the scriptures. Because Jesus came to a point in his life where he didn't want to do something either. As a human being, he did not want to go to that cross for you. And he struggled with that decision in Gethsemane. The human element came in and he had to lay down what he wanted in order for somebody else to get what they needed. And that's what it means to be a son. You lay down what you want so that someone else can get what they need because of your sacrifice. Does that make sense? Okay, so there's a difference. There's two Greek words. I'm going to get a little teachy here for a second. There's two Greek words in the New Testament that outline the word son. Right? One of them means one thing. One of them means another. The first word we're going to look at is technon. It's the first one that shows up in, in Scripture as a son. And the second word is weos, and it means something completely different. And we're going to see that the context in which these words are used in the Bible gives us the context in which we should frame our sonship and understand where we are in that sonship and not fool ourselves thinking we're all the way like Jesus when we're really not. But we have the potential. Does that make sense? What God did inside of you is sure and it's permanent and it's real, but it has to grow. The fact that Jesus came as a baby is proof enough of what I'm going to tell you this morning, because the Hebrew idea was that Jesus was going to come in out of the clouds. They misinterpreted the book of Daniel, and they thought he was going to come the first time on the clouds in a horse and just come in to rule and reign, busting the sky open and delivering them from Roman rule and sitting on the throne of Jerusalem. Well, they misinterpreted that context of Scripture because that's his second return, not his first. Okay? So the fact that he came as a baby is a prophetic symbolism of what it means to be a son for us. We get born again, true or not. When we're born again, we're born with the life of God inside of us, but we are an infant. We are a baby. We are an immature, snot-nosed brat most of the time. Okay? All of our prayers, all of our, it's all selfish. It's me focused. It's me this. It's me that. And this is how you can tell the difference in people in maturity because, uh, you know, in, in the beginning, it's not wrong to be in that place. Don't get me wrong. I'm not saying that's a bad place to be. Now, if you're 20 years in that place, something's wrong. Okay? We say this all the time, but if my child is 16 years old, which they're not there yet, thank God, but if they're not, if they were 16 years old and they're acting like a four year old, something's wrong. I'm going to take them to the doctor. I'm going to take them somewhere where someone can help them because something is wrong. You with me? And some of, some of us in this place, we've been walking with Jesus for a long time, and we use our years as justifications against our condition and our, and our position. Like somehow following Jesus for 20 years you know, gives us the ability to be you know, free from all that other stuff when, when our character is still terrible. We still treat our, our wives like, like garbage and, and our, our children like garbage and we walk around with arrogance and we think theology is going to save the world. 
the fact that you know, you know, the Strong's definitions of this and that, and maybe speak a little Greek, and, under, and you've studied the Bible for 20 years, how many people have you gotten saved in the last six months? Right? If your gospel doesn't work for other people, then it's not the kingdom gospel because the kingdom gospel is not about you being served. It's not about you getting something. It's not about you attaining something. It's not about you learning something. It's about being in the posture of giving. Especially to those who don't deserve it. And most Christians have a hard time loving those that are in their community or their neighbor, let alone somebody they know doesn't deserve the love of God. with me Jesus came down here to love people like you and me who didn't deserve to be loved we don't get the condition we don't get to determine the the, the deciding factor or the context in which love is given you don't get to decide whether somebody's worthy enough of it or not by how they treat you you understand that? In fact, the more vehemently they treat you, the more, the more horribly they treat you, the more primed they are for you to be love in their life. But you won't be that unless you know you're a son, unless you've walked into certain things, because what will happen is if you're a much immature baby in the Lord, all you're going to do is come whine to me in some counseling session about how somebody's hurting you in your life. And I'm going to look at you and go, this is your opportunity, not your plague. Right? Your life isn't going to get better because they change. Your life is going to get better because you allow them to beat on you. And then you allow Christ inside of you to be Christ to them. And it changes you and it changes them. Does it make sense? So technon is the word for an immature child. Somebody who's born a baby, an infant, somebody who's, who is not mature in their faith. And, and listen to me, please. I'm talking to American Christians who we think that time equals maturity. It is not true. Get that out of your head. I've seen people walk with Jesus for 40 years, and they are just as technon as they, they, they got saved. But they don't think that. And the problem is, is we're not going to be judged about our definition of ourselves. We're going to be judged by Jesus. And he's the standard. And I'm going to prove to you in Scripture that Jesus was called at one point in his life, technon, and at one point in his life it transitioned to weos. Weos being the fully mature man of truth and righteousness that we know Jesus to be. That's the transition point that God's trying to get us on. We're born technon. We must make the transition to weos. Same word. We, look, we call it the same word in the English language, son. In the Greek, it's two different meanings. It would be like us calling uh, boy and man. You with me? So, so many people get to the point where they're rejoicing the fact that they're a boy, they're a technon, when the end result is that God wants us to grow up into who he is so that he can have a light and a testimony in this earth other than the religious stench that we've already laid. You with me? When you were born again, you were born again by the Holy Spirit of truth. He came over you and overshadowed you the same way he did Jesus. We talked about this last week. But as he did that, he birthed something inside of you. And that's what you're supposed to replicate. Sons replicate. Boys do not. True or not? You with me? You understand why there's a difference? 
One can replicate, the other, it's all about them. This is why we should go and bear much fruit. Be fruitful and multiply. This comes from the Ephesians 6 armor, our loins girded about with truth, our replicatory ability being releasing truth. Who is truth? The Spirit of truth, the Holy Spirit, the same one that brought us into this salvation, into this adoption. We replicate Him. We replicate more adoption. We replicate more sons because our loins are girded about with truth. It's part of the warfare. Warfare is not sitting there screaming at some demon and rebuking him. Warfare is replicating sons. This, the, 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 the whole teaching on Ephesians 6 just burns me. Because everybody makes it out to be this little thing that we just scream at the devil and we're binding principalities. You realize you can't bind principalities whenever you love the things that they're giving you? You think they have to listen to you when you're Monday through Friday involved in what they're doing and then on Sunday you're going to be a spiritual hero and bind the devil over your family whenever you're not tithing, you're not being faithful, you're not obeying the word of truth in your life, you're sitting there listening to unbelief and doubt and criticism and self-hate in your head and you're treating people like garbage and then you want to go bind principalities and powers of darkness, you can't even keep your own marriage together, your kids in line, and you want to tell the demons what to do? Well, you're saying I have to be perfect. No, I'm saying that you need to grow up. You have all the potential of God inside of you, but it must be matured. This is not something that you just get to do a happy dance on because now you realize you're a son from last week's message and you get to move on in your life and go, I'm a son. You know what that means? It means you're claiming responsibility over the family business and the house, and now you have to be raised up into this thing. This is something that God gave us to mature. I look at the kingdom of God and when he talks about it in the parabolic uh, stories. He says, a man gave this stuff and he left and he comes back to give an account. That's exactly what happens. He put something in us. He deposited something within us and he left and he says, I'm going to come back and see whether it grew up or not. Right? Because sons naturally have faith. Sons naturally serve. Sons don't have to be taught to evangelize. If you have to hold evangelism class, classes, you're not dealing with sons. Or you're trying to teach people who are, too, who are too young to be taught on that issue yet. Because true sons, they want to evangelize. True sons, they want to be holy. True sons, they want to pray. You don't have to, if you have to teach people to pray in that sense, you, have, you haven't started with desire. The only reason Jesus taught his disciples how to pray, not because he started a sermon, but because they begged to be taught. Right? He never, ta he never taught them about prayer until they asked, teach us how to do that. We're hungry for that. Most Christians don't even want to pray. They don't even want to read their Bible. Only two reasons for that. You're either not born again and you think you are, or you're so much of a weak, baby, little technon that you really need somebody in your life to prod you, poke you, feed you, take care of you, nurture you, walk with you until you can get strong enough to do it on your own. That's called discipleship. That's not a class. It's a lifestyle that you live with somebody and get somebody like me getting under your skin and texting you constantly, where are you? Why aren't you at church? Right? It's not because I want my seats filled, because I care about what God placed inside of you. And it's my responsibility to see it raised up, because even Paul said, you don't have many fathers. 
And there's not many fathers in this modern day culture. There's more hirelings who are in it for the money. And they're just letting me know right off the bat, I don't get paid for doing this. So there's no incentive for me to keep you here. In fact, it, more people that come in, it's just more work on me that I'm not getting paid for. You understand this? I care about you. I don't care about what I'm getting from you because I actually fear God. And I actually believe you are his children. And if I lead you astray, I actually believe that I'm going to get judged double in the end because I'm a leader. That scares me. People say, oh, you're a hard preacher. No, I just don't want to get judged for your sin. By the time this service is over and every other message I preach, the blood will be on your hands. It comes on me. I flip it back on you. You deal with it. I'll help you deal with it, but I'm not carrying it. You understand what I'm saying? You're a son, but you've got to grow up and you've got to learn how to walk. You can't sit there and live in the power of your mind and the, and the sensibility of the devil about how bad you are and how failure you are. You have got to renew that head because the Bible says you've been given the mind of Christ. To operate in any other mind is willful rebellion. Is it Jesus' thinking to sit there and tell yourself how horrible you are because of what you think you've done wrong? Then if you're involved in that, what are you doing? You're taking the new man of God, the birth of God, that's little baby, and you're feeding it Dr. Pepper and garbage. You're going to get sick. What happens if you feed a baby garbage for too long of a period of time? They get sick. You with me? Some of us are so familiar and feeding on this garbage of the world and religion and theology and even just stuff in our head that we don't, we don't understand why we come to church every week sick. I'm not talking bodily. I'm talking, and maybe that, but I'm talking about our hearts and our spirits. I long for the day whenever the church can walk through the door without her chin stuck to her chest. And she can actually come into the church and go... I'm, I'm alive, I'm a son, I'm, I'm a saint, I'm the holiness of God, I'm the righteousness of Christ. By the spirit of truth, I have the ability to worship God and please Him in this moment. Whereas in generations and ages in the past, they did not have that ability. But now through the Holy Spirit being inside of us, we have the ability to have Him in us and upon us. Because that's what sons do. They're born by the Spirit, but they also carry Him. There's a lot of people in this room, listen to me, you're born of the Spirit, but you're not familiar with how to carry Him. You understand there's a difference between in and upon? You realize that? Remember, Jesus was filled with the Holy Spirit from His mother's womb, true or not? He didn't have to get baptized in the Holy Spirit, right? Right, because that's, He's a son. He's born by the power of the Spirit of truth. And then why did the Holy Spirit have to land on Him in Matthew 4? Or 3? Because there's a difference between spirit in and spirit upon. Big difference. Spirit within comes from his working in us. Spirit upon comes with our coming under his work and letting that thing obey and carry us and die so it rests upon us. Carrying the spirit is different than being born of him in your heart. You know what causes us to lose the ability to carry him? Sin. Not here, but here. You with me? You know what happens? Father says, this is my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased. And the Holy Spirit comes upon him, right? Not in him, it comes upon him. When you begin to please God, you carry God efficiently. 
How do you please him? By doing everything perfect? No. By obeying him and loving him with all your heart and walking in faith. In faith in what? Believing he's able to perform and keep these things that he started in you until the end. And every day you get up, you have another challenge, you have another cross, you have another wake up, you have another something to do that you have to kill this old man, put him off, and put the new man on every day. Well, that's hard. Not as hard as living in the world. So make your choice. Because there's only two. Right? Who wants to talk about how, how hard Christianity is? At the same time, you want to sit there and complain about how bad your life is. Your life's bad because you're living God without Him. At least, if, at least when you walk in, in true sonship, you go through hard things, but you go through them with God instead of separate from God. Right? I got peace when I go through hard times, whereas everybody else has got chaos, unrest. You with me? Okay. You guys make it to John one twelve. All right, Jacob, it better be on the board by the time I look backwards, right? You had a lot of time. Wow. All right. But as many as received him, to them he gave them the right to become the sons of God, even to those who believe in his name. This word son here is the word what? Technon. In other words, this is the verse we, we began to understand in the New Testament reality. God began to come here in this, in this life to, to set up what it means to be a son. In the beginning of Jesus' ministry, according to John, the faith of those who believed on Jesus, he gave them the right to become babies in Christ. God's children, God's babies, God's sons, God's little boys. Okay? With me? Okay, does that mean that you're, you're done? You have a son, you pop out a baby, right? It's two months old, you think, well, we're done, we did our job. <laughs> no, no, it's only beginning. With me or not? You understand what I'm saying? Are you getting the parallel here for your life? It's only just the beginning. This is not time to sit there. Yeah, there's a moment where we go, oh, he's so cute, and cry, and say, baby, oh, yeah. But then it's, now, now the work comes. There's a lot of diapers that need to be changed. There's a lot of feeding that needs to happen. There's a lot of sleepless nights. There's a lot of counsel. There's a lot of things like this that begin to happen. The problem is, is that you have to get that person to the place where they're out of their own head and into his. Or I have to do that for you. Because in the beginning of our life with the Lord as, as tech non-Christians, we're selfish. You think a baby cares whether you've slept or not? They don't care. They just want food. Right? It's all about them. And you have to make it about them, don't you? But there comes a time in their life where you have to stop and go, this is no longer about you. And that's when it gets hard, isn't it? That's when training and discipline and teaching children gets very difficult because it's, it's been about them for so many years. And the problem with our current society is that mothers today don't know when to do that. They wait till they're 16 before they actually make that transition. And then we wonder why all of our kids are hellions. Well, because you waited 10 years too long, 12 in my opinion, to not make it about them anymore. God's a good father, and he's not going to wait that long. He's going to start, and he's going to say, listen, this is not about you anymore. You're going to have to stop. 
right? This word is technon, very beginning. With me? If you don't mind, Jacob, if you can switch that translation back to King James just so I can stay, stay good here with where I'm at. Not that I care for that more than others. I just, this is where my notes are at. So Luke 2.48 is a story of Jesus' life. It's the only snippet we get into his childhood where they're going up to Passover to celebrate and they bring Jesus with them. He's about 12 years old. You know the story, right? And then halfway through this Passover thing, they're heading back home. And Jesus is not with them anymore. It's another sermon, but it says they walked a long time before they realized Jesus wasn't with them. That's what Christians do all the time. We walk a long time before we even realize he's no longer with us. Right? Well, I thought God never leave you or forsake you. Well, he's omnipresent, that's for sure. But he's not going to follow you into your sin. Now, you bring Holy Spirit into that stuff. And that's bad. But Jesus isn't going to go there with you. You understand me? So it says, when they saw him in the temple teaching, verse uh, 48 of Luke 2, they were amazed. And his mother, Mary, said to him, son, and what word is that? It's technon. Son, boy, why have you treated me like this? That's a whole other sermon, too, to, to ask God why he's treating you like this. You can jot, jot that down if y'all are preachers and you want to use some good content, right? Why are you treating me like this, God? Because it's not about you, right? It's about his house, not your house, okay? He says, we've been seeking you and we've been, we've been sorrowing. So even she acknowledges him as a boy. With me? You understand where I'm going with all this? I have to teach you this part because if you don't understand this, you're going to not get why it's going to be so difficult when you're, you're growing. I have to counsel people a lot of times just to understand that, look, you're okay. You're growing. You're just growing, right? It's okay. Like, if you get in trouble, I'll, trust me, I'll be on you. Right? I'll, I, will, I will call you. Some of you are getting close to that trouble point. Some of you are all right. But if you don't understand how to grow, then you're going to get confused. Because you're going to be hearing this message, well, I thought I was a son. Well, I don't feel like a son because I'm not acting like a son. I'm selfish and spoiled and I'm getting my butt whipped all the time. Right? You ever try to go fall in love with Jesus and it's all puppies and roses and in, 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 in a few minutes he's, he's whipping your rear end. Every time you go to your prayer closet you're just like, oh my gosh. That was horrible. Like, I'm, I'm a sinner. And then you have to come back, no, I'm a son. But man, I just, I don't feel very good about myself. And you have to come through that whole process. And God's convicting you and bringing junk up out of your heart. And like, look, look, sons don't do this. And you're just like, oh my gosh. Right? You're going to get discouraged because you don't understand the process. If you just believe that you're a son and that's a carte blanche issue and boom, you're a son. And you're not even going to do it from that point on. And you just, you're, you're good until you get to heaven and you're going to get really discouraged in the in-between. In fact, I'm going to, I, I, hopefully I'll get to it today, but I'm going to show you that if you don't make it to Weos, your eternity is compromised. It's, it's, there's a possible compromise there. It talks about those who enter into the final day. They're the Weos of God. It doesn't use the word technon. It means that you can believe and live your whole life. And I'm going to show you some, through some other scriptures out of the mouth of two or three witnesses where it talks about many people who were called sons, but they ended up in hell. 
right? Or they end up going astray. All right, so just real quick so you can understand the context, Luke 2.39 and 2.40, it says, When they had performed all these things of the law of the Lord, this is when they were dedicating Jesus uh, when he was a baby, and they returned to Nazareth, it says in verse 40, it says, The child grew, right? The son, the, the technon grew, and what? And waxed strong in spirit, he was filled with wisdom, and the grace of God was upon him. Now, if Jesus has to grow, then why not you? You're not just saved and instantly transformed into the full manifestation of nature of Jesus in the earth. That's not how it works. This is why this culture needs to understand how to honor authority, especially godly authority. People who have walked with Jesus before you ever realized who he was. Because there's something of wisdom and there's something of authority and anointing that they possess that you will not get just from understanding. I have watched people try to preach this message that they've heard from me on Sonship, and they run to their own church and preach it verbatim, but yet there was no power behind it because they aren't a son themselves. Or they're a technon themselves, and they haven't walked through the maturity level of what it most means to be a son. When you see the anointing of God on a man or a woman's life, what you're looking at is someone who has suffered very much. If you see anointing on somebody, any kind of anointing on them, it came from them embracing suffering when the rest of Christianity excused it. I'm not talking about just going through hard things. I'm talking about going through hard things the right way. There was two thieves who died next to Jesus and suffered the same death, but got very little out of it. You with me? How you suffer determines your anointing, not if you suffer. We're all going to suffer. Well, I've been through so much pain in my life and I've gone through so many hard things. Yeah, but did it make you like Jesus? Or did it make you bitter and blaming and selfish and criticizing and everything else? Because see, if you went through a lot of hard stuff and you still have, you know, these little high octane pings in your life about the names of those people that were involved back in those situations and you didn't suffer, not with the Lord. You just went through a hard time. You gained nothing. Jesus went through hard times and he gained something. Anointing comes through suffering. It doesn't come through theology and and teaching. You can go teach this to to whoever you want, but if you don't have it deep, deep inside of you, it's not going to move them on the inside. It's just going to be something they hear. It may be a shiny lure that might attract them a little bit, but it's not going to fill their heart and spirit. You've got to be the thing that you're giving others. You've got to be a son. You've got to walk and grow. This is why it's so important to grow, because it's not just about you anymore. If you don't grow, they don't get it. If Jesus didn't grow here, we didn't get it. You with me? He grew. He grew. What does it mean to grow? It means to embrace seasons. You understand that? Right? Jesus talks about bearing fruit. He talks about the kingdom of God with farming and fruits and uh, crops and things like this. Why? Because it, this is how the working happens. First, you have the plant, the seed. It's got to what? It's got to die. This is the process most Christians miss. This is why I'm not growing in my life. That's because you refuse to die. What does that mean? You refuse to let go of the things that you're justifying. You refuse to let go of the things God asks, is asking you to do. What is he asking me to do? Go read your word. If you're already, people want to hear this, this rhema revelation from God whenever nine times out of ten the things they're already doing is already said, don't do this. Well, I want to hear the Lord. Listen, you don't, you don't need rhema right now. You need to go read the logos and be the word of God in your life and fulfill that first before you start asking for something else. 
When a tree begins to throw out flowers, it doesn't have fruit, right? It's just got flowers. Does that mean that the flowers are insignificant because they aren't fruit and you should just go knock them all off? No. It means that's the season for flowering. If you don't do that in your season, you're not going to have fruit. Right? But as those flowers, what happens is, is you get used to that beauty and you get used to that season and you get used to God working in you in that way. And all of a sudden, what happens? What has to happen to a flower in order for fruit to form? It has to fall off. It has to fall off. The flowers, the petals, they fall off, don't they? And the beauty leaves. And then in that moment, you're feeling like everything has gone wrong in your life and everything God's been building in you and everything, all the beauty that he's done, it's all gone. It's all wasted. It's, all, it's not there anymore. And then the, this, this little bitty tiny bulb is, is left behind. It's immature. It's, it's a prepubescent type thing that's not even worth, you know, it's like, you know, squeaky voice and everything else. And just, you know, it's like, oh my gosh, you know, this is, this is horrible. But if you don't embrace that as well, then you can't grow. You with me? Being a son has everything to know with doing in season with God the things that God does in his season. If you try to operate outside of your season, you're going to create your own chaos even as a son. Jesus did not move in his life without seeing what the Father was doing and understanding what the Father was doing in his life. Jesus even said to the, to the Pharisees and other people, he said, listen, you guys can discern the face of the sky, but you don't even know the times in your own life. You don't even know what's in front of you. He even says, we wouldn't know the exact day or hour, but he says we would know the season in which he was going to come. He gives us all kinds of clues and indicators. Why? Because sons are supposed to know the season. If I asked most of you right now, what season are you in? Most of you look at me like, like, like just confused. Like, I don't even know how to answer that. If you don't know what season you're in, how, do you, how are you going to know how God's going to work with you in that season? You say, I don't, I don't understand. Well, listen, Jesus was in the, in the wilderness hungry, right? He was starving to death, really. 40 days, 40 nights without food. Just water. We're not talking about you know, having a, a protein shake in the evenings because you're wore out. 40 days with nothing but water. He's starving to death, and yet the Scripture says, which is... Actually, David's great-great-great-great-great-great-grandfather says, I've never seen this, the righteous suffer hunger or need for bread. What do you do with that? Is Jesus not righteous? He can go back and he knows the word. He's like, wait a minute. The, the word says that the righteous don't ever suffer hunger or need for bread. I'm righteous. Why am I suffering hunger and needing bread? He could have worked himself up into a mental tizzy about not knowing the seasons of God because the word of God outside the season of God is not the will of God. Do you hear what I just said? The word of God outside the season of God is not the will of God. The, 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 will, the, the will of God, the season of God determines the, the, the word of God. Jesus, the word submits to the will of God. True or not? Jesus, as the word, what? Submitted to the will of the Father. Do you think he wanted to submit to the will of the Father and go to the cross? His human part did not. You with me? The word has to submit to the will. You can't just, because you're a Christian, go read the word of God and then slather it over every situation in your life. That's not what sons do. 
You can't just, you know, and I see it and we do it and it's, 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 it's American, it's, but it's not contextual and it's not even the will, it's not right. You can't just quote Philippians 4.13 just because you want to do more push-ups. That's not the context. Well, I can do all things through, through Christ, through strengthens me, you know, and it becomes a, a motto or a little chant over a, 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 a Christian gym. That's not, that's not what that verse means. It's not how it works. You can't take the word of God and apply it outside the will of God. What, it, the will of God is where he has you right now in his life. The will of God is for you to become like Christ. That's the will of God. And the things that you can't change in your life, that's the will of God. You can't just sit there like, well, it's their fault and their fault and their fault and their fault. God already knew whose fault it was, and that's eating from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, determining whose fault it was. That doesn't make you holy. That makes you old covenant. Because you can figure out who was wrong. The devil can do that. Sons operate in a season. According to wisdom literature in Ecclesiastes 3, it's a time for everything, right? Time to be born, time to die. Sons know when to be born, they know when to die, they know when to give, they know when to take, they know, they know when to do these things. Jesus was a perfect example of what it meant to walk through this life. Some moments he was aggressive, some moments he was not aggressive. Some moments he was loving, some moments he wasn't loving, according to the social definition. You with me? You've got to learn to operate as a son, because if you don't know to operate as a son, you're never going to go from, you're never going to transition from tech on the wheels. What season does God have you in in your life? Are you in a season of stripping, exposure? Are you in a season of rebuilding, restructuring? Are you in a season of, of uh, what, what, what season does he have you in? Jesus didn't step outside of his season. This is why he told his mother, it's not my time yet. Right? But because he was submissive, he even stepped out of that because of submission, because sons submit. Sons aren't arrogant, they don't push, they don't prod, they don't rule over, they don't dominate, they serve, they submit. That's why I see people say, well, I'm a son, but then they're arrogant and they want to be served, they don't want to give, they don't want to, you know, they, you're not a son. <laughs> you, you, if you're a son, you might be a technon, but because you won't submit to anything or anyone, you'll never make it to weos because that's what it takes to get there, to submit to something other than yourself, other than your own opinion, other than your own theological understanding. Jesus had to have instruction and training, not only as a human being, but also as a son from the Father. And then when he called his disciples, he called other sons to him so that he could instruct and teach them as well. You're not going to get this on your own. You want to transition from technon to weos, you have to have a community around you. You have to have somebody who's been before you. You have to learn the submission levels. You have to understand all those things because it's not about submitting to somebody whether they're right or wrong. It's about submitting because that's what God placed in your life and you're honoring him regardless. Where did Jesus learn that? He learned that from David, his great, great, great grandfather. something inside of him. He submitted to Saul. Why would you submit to a man whose destiny is to kill you? But he did it anyway. And we can't even submit to a pastor because they hurt our feelings or told us the truth about the word of God that we didn't agree with. You know, when people come to complain to me about their pastors, I'm like, is he trying to kill you? Well, no. Well, then you should stay. But, but he's wrong. And he, yeah. So you want to make it about right and wrong. You want to go back to the Old Testament and you want to eat from that tree. Go ahead. I'm not going with you. If you can't give life, you're not half as spiritual as you think you are. Right? 
We were supposed to eat from the tree of life, not from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, sitting here telling each other who's right, who's wrong, who's right, who's wrong. Well, I disagree with that. Well, I don't care if you disagree with that. It matters to me nothing that you disagree with me. What matters to me is if I'm in the right season with God in my life because I'm going to answer to him, and that scares me. Your opinion is not going to help me on Judgment Day, plus or minus. It's not going to help me. You're not going to be, he's a good guy, Lord, let him in. Oh, well, since so-and-so back there who never followed me and never obeyed me and justified contextually Scripture their entire life spoke up for you, I think I'll let you in. That's not how it's going to work. You with me? Acts 12, 24, the word of God grew and multiplied. This is post-cross, post-resurrection. The word of God grew and multiplied. Who's the word of God? It's Jesus in them, in the church. Jesus in the church grew and multiplied. We go back to that multiplication thing. Why? Because multiplication is the heart of God. It was was from the beginning. It is in the new covenant. Be fruitful and multiply. He told Noah, go, fill the earth. He tells his disciples, same thing. Go into all the earth. Right? It's God's heart to extend his family, to make more sons, and not just make rebellious, chaotic sons who are running around in their own opinions and never learn how to submit, but ones who are in the house structure of the Lord, representing the life of Christ that they've received. Show me a Christian that doesn't look like Jesus, and you either see somebody who's completely immature or not saved at all. I think one of the biggest curses of our 21st century American Christianity is that just because someone prays a prayer... We say, well, bless God, brother, you're born again, when that's not actually the case, because there's no such thing as a salvation prayer in Scripture. It isn't. You know how we know whether we're born again? Jesus says you judge their fruits. We shouldn't judge. You're wrong. We should judge. 1 Corinthians 5, Jesus says you should judge. If they claim to be a Christian, you should judge. Now, if they don't claim to be a Christian, you have no right to judge their life. Leave them alone. But those who profess to know Jesus, they better look like him. Or you have the right to call him out. Why? Because God believes that what he placed inside of us looks like himself. And if it looks other than, then we should question it. He believes so vehemently in his DNA that when he places it inside somebody, he says, you better be able to see my son in them or they're not yours. God believes that his son can grow. If you leave Jesus to himself, he just grows. That's what he does. Growth requires patience, instruction, submission, vulnerability, time, and community. In an age when we don't, we want everything now. Some of the things that you're asking for God for in your life, the things that you are asking for in your, in your heart, the maturity levels, the, the mentality that you want to have, the, the position with your family, those things take 5, 10, 15 years, some of them. And you want them in, a, in, in six months doesn't work like that. You say, well, that's not very encouraging. You know what? Stop wasting time. Because every moment you waste, you're just putting off the thing you're longing for even farther in the future. Yeah. 
You have to grow. This is a huge responsibility. It's not one that is on your own shoulders, though. That's the glory of the whole thing is that to be a son, he walks with you through it. You don't have to carry this whole thing. You don't have to be good enough, holy enough, righteous enough, fast enough, believe enough, all these types of things. As you grow, he's going to begin to prune and chasten and cut off things in your life. Situation by situation, circumstance by circumstance, uh, authority structure into your life. And he's going to begin to reveal these things and you're going to see things come out of you. This is the way. It's the process with me and if you allow yourself at any point to be taken down mentally because of your your uh realization that you're not a weos and you're a technon then you are stopping your own process of growth is god going to pull some pretty horrible nasty things out of your heart absolutely when he pulls them out of you you're going to go think you're going to go i had there's no way i would have believed that was in there You should lift your hands and worship him when that happens because that means he loved you the entire time knowing that junk was in there. And now it's time to get it out. God doesn't expose anything to condemn you. He doesn't bring something up in your life to beat you over the head with it. He exposes it because now it's time to grow. With me? Oh my goodness, y'all are going to make me make this like a four-part series just on this message. You know the hardest part about the seasons are? Waiting. We are not people who are used to waiting on the Lord. We think if we don't get it in two weeks, a month, two months, that it's never going to happen. Abraham waited 20 years for Isaac. There are certain things that you want that are going to take a lot of time. Because the glory of the blessing requires a great accountability in those that hold it. And if you're asking God for great things, he has to grow you into great stature before you can handle it. You want to sit there and talk about ministries you want to produce in this nation and save thousands of souls or whatever it might be. But you haven't even beaten the lion and the bear in your life yet. You can't sit there and pray to take out Goliath if you're not even willing to fight the thing that is right in front of your face, in your, hand, in your family, in your home, in your kids. You know who God uses to take out Goliath? Those who efficiently have learned how to grow up and take out their own lion and bear. Every sin that you know that God wants you to get rid of in your life, I don't care if it's horribly immoral or something just mental, and you continue to hold on to that, all you're doing All you're doing is suffocating your own growth for something cheap. And you know it's not going to fulfill you anyway. Right? 1 John 3, 1. Behold, look, see what manner of love the Father has bestowed upon us that we should be called the technon of God, the the boys, the children of God. Therefore, the world does not know us because it does not know Him. But beloved, listen. Listen. Now are we the technon, the sons of God. And it does not yet appear what we will be because we know that when he appears, the weos of God, we will be like him for we will see him as he is. Every man that has this hope inside of himself purifies himself just as Jesus is pure. 
If we didn't have to go through any kind of growth structure, then we would automatically be weos when it's clearly calling us technon in these verses. And it says, if we want to be like him as weos, when we see him, we'll know that that's what it's like to have that hope inside of us to be that thing. We have to continually come inside of our hearts to purification just as we know he is pure. We have to continue to allow God to purify us as technon saints to know who he is as the we are son of God so we can come into that position so that when we see him, we'll be like him because there's no difference between us. Does this make sense to you? Everybody that has this hope inside of themselves purifies himself just as Jesus is pure. You can't sit there and walk around in your version of Christianity and not purify yourself and claim to be a son and then meet Jesus and have him be okay with that. I mean, that blood cost him something. You know what blood is? It's really simple, guys. It's DNA. Oh, the blood of Jesus. It washes white as snow. Why does it wash as white as snow? Because it's the DNA of God. It's the DNA of God that he places inside of you, and he removes your old DNA, gives you new DNA, completely new, completely white. It doesn't mean it takes all the stains off the old chalkboard. It's a completely new chalkboard. You with me? What does DNA do? It naturally creates a form in which it's written. If God places his DNA inside of you, and then you claim that DNA, and then you stand before him, and he doesn't see that DNA, what? Then you never had the DNA of God. You just had a theological understanding of it. DNA is reflex. It's desire. It's something that submits. You begin to act like Jesus and you don't even realize how or why. I've seen people who've had false salvations and people who've had no show of emotion or whatever have completely true salvations because after a while what happens is is they begin to change. They begin to naturally just act like the Messiah. You with me? Moses was faithful in his house as a servant, as a slave, as a testimony of those things which were spoken of afterwards. This is Hebrews 3, 5, and 6. But Christ, a weos over his own house, a son over his own house, whose house we are, if, if we hold fast the confidence and rejoicing in the hope, firm until the end. You see, there's an if there. It says this again. I'll read it again. But Christ, as a weos over his own house, whose house we are, if we hold fast the confidence and rejoicing of the hope firm until the end. You see the condition there? Which is easier to kill, a full-grown man or a baby? This is why it's very dangerous to stay as a technon in your life. Because the enemy can come in and just rip you to pieces. And most of the time he does it through your own perverted context and theology of what you think God is. Verse John 3, 8, whoever commits sin is of the devil. Right? That's a hard verse, isn't it? Anybody ever, you ever want to question your salvation? Go read 1 John. And a lot of people stay away from that book. Because it, it doesn't fit our little current denominational standards. Whoever commits sin is of the devil because the devil sins from the beginning. For this is the purpose of the Son of God. Listen, this is the purpose of the weos of God. This is the purpose of sons. Sons exist for a purpose, right? What is it? To destroy 
the works of the devil. You claim sonship and you're not destroying the works of the devil in your own life. Don't tell me you're a son because sons destroy the works of the devil. That's what they do. They destroy them. They're not perfect, but they wreak havoc on the principality of darkness in people's lives. I'm not perfect. I don't have what I want to be yet in this whole thing. I'm not where I want to be yet in this whole thing. But someplace in most of your lives here, if you're, if you're not, everybody's life here if you're not new, I have wrecked havoc and darkness in your life somehow, some way. I have destroyed some form of the power of darkness in your mind or in your heart. Otherwise, you wouldn't be here. This is what we do. Sons destroy the works of darkness in the minds of people because that's where the principalities are set up. Principalities aren't, they, they, they exist out there, but they manifest themselves here. So when we preach truth and we replicate truth and we release Christ in the way that he should be released, what we're doing is we're tearing down principalities and powers of darkness. We're taking away the host in which the principalities operate through. We're restructuring the mindset of the people of God so they can begin to do the same thing for others. This is why the devil doesn't like me. He fights me. He hates me. He hits me all the time. I mean, I'm hammered all the time. i got to fight for every penny I make. Every time I turn around, my finances are being stolen. Everybody's like, well, brother, you just need to trust the Lord. Why don't you come fight some of the battles I'm fighting and lay on my face as long as, you're ha- as I have, and you see what God's doing, and you understand that it doesn't matter how much you fight when the devil is allowed to touch your life in those areas just to begin to push you. There's nothing you can do about it. This is part of growth. You have to suffer. You have to go without. You have to, it's hard. With me. I'd like to be able to do some, I have dreams in my heart for the gospel, but it doesn't work that way. I don't get to do those until I'm ready and I've submitted enough to where God says I'm ready. This is the waiting part. See, you think, I think, we think, we're more spiritual than what we really are. And we're ready to go start a ministry, ministry to launch the nations. Well, listen, if it hasn't come to you yet, maybe it's not your season. If you've got to fight and scratch and claw to knock on those doors and get them open, maybe they shouldn't be open. Listen, Jesus loves the one just as much as he loves the one million. Why don't you go down and get somebody at Walmart line saved? Well, cross the street, mow your neighbor's lawn. And we eat it too. Don't just mow the middle. Love them. You understand me? Because it's the nature of Jesus. This is the purpose of the Son of God was manifested to destroy the works of the devil. Whoever is born of God does not commit sin because, this, because God's seed remains inside of him. Did you hear that? God's seed, God's DNA, God's life form rests inside of him. And he cannot sin because he's born of God. Do you know what the difference is between missing the mark and and, and, and willfully sinning? Growth between sin and growth and versus sin and and willful choosing is is a big difference. As my children grow, they, they commit sin, right? What is sin? Missing the mark. It means not doing everything right and exactly perfect. And I have to teach them and instruct them. And once I teach and instruct them the way they should do something, if they do it differently after that, that's willful, rebellious sin. You with me? Before that, it was a sin that was considered not habitual. You with me? If they choose to do it afterwards a different way, that's habitual sin. That's where they're going to choose. No, I'm defying you, Father. I will not do it your way. I'm going to do it my way. 
This is the sin he's talking about. How do I know? Because when you look up that word sin, whoever commits sin is of the devil. It means habitual, continual sin. Over and over and over again. Somebody who commits a sin over and over and they won't quit and they won't stop and they keep doing it and they keep choosing it and they won't quit and they won't stop and they won't quit and they won't stop. This person is not born of God. Their theology may be well-formed, well-framed, well-spoken, but they're not born of the Father. In this, the children of God are manifest. Verse 10, this is how you know the sons of God and the children of the devil. Whoever does righteousness is does not righteousness is not of God, neither he that doesn't love his brother. Righteousness is what? It comes from Christ. You with me? Yeah. Sons destroy the works of darkness, first in their life, then in others. Don't tell me you're ready for ministry if you have not destroyed the things in your life that are causing you to go astray. You want to be in ministry? You know what that means? It means your whole life is on display. It means what you're doing is you're standing up and saying, I'm ready for you to analyze every form and presence of my life. Money, ministry, family, marriage, character. I'm willing for you to analyze all of it and do it exactly like me, and you will be following Jesus. That's what it means to be in ministry. If you're not ready for that, then why don't you just evangelize to the person that's next to you? Setting yourself up on display for that type of public ministry is saying, my whole life is on display. Follow everything I'm doing in every aspect of my life, and you will be following Messiah, because that's what Paul said. That's why the Bible says if you can't take care of your own house, you should never run the house of God. With me? Real quick, I'm going to close. I'm teaching, okay? Luke 15, 31. This is the story of the prodigal. I don't have time to go into the whole story. Both sons are a mindset that most Christians have, right? You can have both mindsets at the same time, the older and the younger, you know? One moment you're walking away from the Lord, the next moment you don't feel like you're worthy of the things he's already given you in the house. Both are wrong. You with me? The father says to the son in verse 31, Son, what word? Technon. Boy, He's talking to the older, right? Everything I've ever had is yours. We have two sons. Story of two sons. Both of them are, both of them are what? Technon. It's possible for a technon to run and eat with pigs. It's possible for a technon to leave the father's house, to leave the family business, to leave the kingdom of God, and go and just swallow darkness. You with me? Don't, don't just sit there and claim you're a son. Live like one. If you are truly born again, then you have the power to do so. Live like a son. You with me? Luke 16, 25. This is a story of uh, Lazarus and the rich man. You remember the story where Lazarus was the, uh, the guy that sat at the gate and cut himself with, with pottery and ate from the crumbs that fell from the rich man's table. You, you with me? And this guy lives sumptuously here. Both of them are children of Abraham. One dies and goes to heaven. The poor man. The rich man dies and goes to hell. Abraham's talking to him here. Who is Abraham? He's the father of faith. He's the father of us. Right? We are sons of Abraham. Children of faith. You with me? Yeah. Abraham says to him, what? Son. Where's this man? Where's this man at? 
He's in hell. This man is in hell. Abraham looks to him and says, Son, Technon, remember that here in this life you received good things and likewise Lazarus evil things, but now he is comforted and you were tormented. I don't have time to go into the rest of the story. This man lived for himself. This technon made everything about what he could gain and what he could get for himself. It was all about him. He was a son. He could sit there and dance in the streets about his theology. Someone can preach sonship to him and he could click his heels together as he walks down the road. I'm a son, but he's in hell. Because there has to be a transition. You have to come into the fullness of Christ. The time in which God gives you to live is the time frame which he believes it's going to take you to be able to take that, make that transition. Life is given to you not just so you can live it, but because God knows that every moment you have is what you're going to need to be able to get into that place where you're walking as a weos of God. You with me? Hebrews 12.5, You have forgotten the exhortation which speaks unto you as the sons of God. My son, my what? Technon. Right? So actually, he actually he begins to use this word here in transitions um, to weos. He says, my son, my weos. Where does the transition happen? Right here. We can see it in Jesus' life too. I'll get to it next week. But he says, my weos, do not despise the chastening of the Lord or faint when you're rebuked of him because every whom every Son, every we ask him whom he loves, he chastens. Technons will not take rebuke. They will not take correction. They will not take accountability. They will not take any of that stuff. But if you want to be a we ask, you're going to have to get, receive rebuke and, and correction and chastening from the Lord. That may come from your authorities. It may come in your private time. I know I've taken times in my life where I went to pray and I thought God was just going to shower his love on me. And boy, I come out an hour, hour and a half later just whooped. I mean, he just destroyed me lovingly. I didn't walk out in condemnation, but I, I realized I got a whooping. I was just like, Woof. yes, sir, daddy. Yes, sir, daddy. <laughs> You're right, daddy. I'm wrong. Thank you that I won't do that again. You with me? The ability to receive rebuke determines the ability you have to reign. You know how you determine whether you're humble or not? How well you take correction. See, it's, it's, it's not submission until you disagree. And you ask yourself, how many times have I truly submitted in my life? It's not submission until you disagree. It's funny, we make our kids submit because I said so, Right? Even though you disagree, you're going to submit. We make them do it, but we won't do it to the Father or to our spiritual authorities. Under the, under the true definition, it's not submission until you disagree. How many times have you actually truly submitted in your life? Most people, whenever they disagree, they leave the church. Because, frankly, they don't have the spirit of we us. Because humility understands that none of us know everything. And we all need each other. And we all need to be corrected. 
And we all need instruction one from another. And we need it to grow and we need it to love and we need it to press on us, to shape us, to be able to show us where we're not quite right. You know how you know where you need to change? When you're not able to love your brother. How do you love? You lay down your life when they don't deserve it. With me? The rebuke of God leads us to the maturity of Father. Next week, we're going to talk about weos. You want to be a son, you've got to do it under the standards and the nature of Jesus Christ of Nazareth. He's the definition. We talked about it last week, but Revelation 21, it says, whoever endures to the end, whoever overcomes. This is the last book of the Bible. This is the end, right? This is the end. This, this is sonship from Genesis to Revelation. In the end, Revelation 21, he says, whoever overcomes, I will be his God. And he will be my son. You know what word is used? Not technon. It's weos. Whoever overcomes and endures to the end, I will be his God. And he will be my weos. You know what the word used whenever father said, this is my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased? Weos. You need to get there. I need to get there. We need to get there. We don't do it by strength and religion. We do it by letting him expose us. We do it by submission. We do it by patience and grace. We let the waiting kill what's inside of us, that human itch to want to change and shake things off and shake him off and run to the left field or create Ishmael's or whatever it might be. Sometimes the waiting is the death. Amen? Amen. Please stand. Sorry I kept you guys long today. Father, we thank you for your grace and your mercy. We thank you for your love. We thank you for your goodness that you call us sons by your Holy Spirit. We ask, God, that you would begin to move in our hearts in a way that would transition us and grow us the way Jesus grew in wisdom and stature and favor with God and man. We thank you for where you have us, but, Lord, we're hungry for more. But yet we're also satisfied with where you have us, which is the context of Philippians 4.13. And we can trust you and abound where we are, but also hunger for more. So I pray, Father, that these people would not only be filled, but they'd be starving to death at the same time, hungry for more of you. I pray, Father, for your life to flow in them. I pray for a blessing to be upon them. God, I pray that you would, by the Holy Spirit, just lead them and guide them in truth, and they begin to replicate peace as the sons of God, because that's what sons are. They're peacemakers. We thank you, Father. We love you. We praise you. We rejoice over your heart and and the life you've placed inside of us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.